Well, thanks to James and uh, to Jess and the group for leading us uh, so well in our worship this morning. It's always appreciated the work and thought that goes in uh, to uh, leading uh, the worship. I, I'm always amazed uh, how appropriate the songs are when we come to particular uh, passages of Scripture. And uh, again, can I add my welcome uh, to James, if you're with us, uh, it's uh, lovely to have you. I think we have some friends from England with us. Uh, you're, you're very welcome. It's good to see you. Uh, I think Pastor Jonathan Ray, his wife and family are here as well from Glengormley. Uh, there they are uh, at the back. It's really good to have them uh, with us as well. And we trust that we all know the Lord's presence as we seek to worship Him and glorify his uh, great name. So, we're continuing our studies in what has been designated as the Lord's Prayer, but probably more accurately could be referred to as the Disciples' Prayer. So, turn with me to Matthew 6, and we'll begin to read at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray in the synagogues and on the corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. And we know God always blesses the reading of His own inspired Word. You remember, I trust that over the last number of weeks, we have been considering our Lord's teaching on this very important subject of prayer. He has told us that our prayers are not to be patterned after the Gentiles or the hypocrites who pray with the sole intention of trying to impress others rather than pouring out their heart's concerns to God. Secondly, He tells us our praying is not to be like that of the pagans who think that they uh, will be heard because of the multiplicity of their words. They have a wrong uh, concept of God and thinking that through uh, repetitive babbling, they need to move the will of a reluctant deity to act on their behalf. So, he says, Jesus, do not be like them, like the hypocrites who put on a performance or like these uh, Gentiles who babble away uh, in order to get the answer, secure the answer that they want. Instead, he says, when you pray, this is how you should order your prayers. Uh, Begin in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Pause long enough so that you consciously recognize the God it is to whom you come that He is the great God of heaven, but He he is a God who has adopted you into His family and a God uh, that you're on intimate terms with, your Father. The first words then that come from your mouth ought to be words of praise and adoration. Hallowed be 
uh, your name. You don't rush into his presence with requests, but you, you pour out your heart in adoration and praise, remembering uh, who he is. Your kingdom come. You pray that God in his grace would set up his kingdom in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls, that they will repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, that the kingdom will be established in their hearts, that their lives will become little outposts of his kingly rule and authority. And then the third petition, which is also to do with God, is that his will will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we haven't yet begun to pray about our own needs. We hallow His name, we pray for His kingdom, and we pray that His will might be done on earth just as it is in heaven. His name, His kingdom, His will before my daily bread and before the forgiveness of my sins. So, we're looking at the third petition this morning, Your will uh, be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we're going to look at this and engage in what the Puritans call a little bit of catechetical preaching. That's to say, we're going to ask questions uh, of the text and ask questions of ourselves. First question is this, is the will of God done on earth? Is the will of God done on earth? I wonder how you would answer that question. Some would say, absolutely, God is sovereign. He is working out His purposes in the world, and God's will is always done on earth. Others would say, absolutely not. Just look at all the suffering, the wickedness, and the problems of the world. Uh, Those things certainly run contrary to the will of God. Now, who's right? Is God's will done on earth, or isn't it? Well, both are right in one sense, and uh, in another sense, they're not right. If you turn back to Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, you see this wonderfully illustrated in uh, two uh, verses. Uh, in verse 24, where we're told, Isaiah 14, verse 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. And then if you look at verse 27, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? The NIV translates that, who will thwart it? His hand is stretched out, who can turn it back? Is God's will done uh, on earth? Absolutely. Uh, Isaiah 46 and verse 11, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have a purposed, I will do it. Or you think of the words of Nebuchadnezzar in, uh, in Daniel chapter 4, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none none can stay his hand. Or from the New Testament, Ephesians 1 and verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So, is God's will done on earth? Well, those verses seem to indicate it is. 
But on the other hand, we have other verses. John 8, verse 44. You belong, Jesus says to the scribes and the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out his will. His will. Um, in fact, John says in 1 John 5 and verse 19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Jesus says in Matthew 18 and verse 4, in the same way your Father in heaven is not willing, not willing, that any one of these little ones will perish. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, it is God's will that you should be holy. If it is God's will that we should be holy, why then are we not holy? So, in one sense, God's will is done on earth, and in another sense, it's not. Now, how do we reconcile those two things? Well, the Puritans were very helpful in this, and they uh, divided uh, the will of God into His secret will and His revealed will. And they base that on Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So God has secret things, hidden things, that are, are hidden from us. And then he has revealed things that are his will for us in his word. And so we can talk about the secret will of God and the revealed will of God, the decretive will of God and the perceptive will of God, the um, active will of God and the permissive will of God. That God has his plans and his purposes but sometimes man's will runs contrary to those purposes, but nevertheless, God's ultimate will is done. So, we can see that in Scripture. So, here, here is Joseph, and he suffers at the hands of his brothers. He's beaten, and he's sold into slavery. Those were sinful actions. Those ran contrary to the will and the Word of God. And yet, later, Joseph could say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, and it was evil, but God meant it for good. God was in it and turned it round to preserve His people. Or as James reminded us in his studies on Esther, uh, the king runs a beauty contest. Esther becomes king, a sinful objectification of woman, how depraved that is, and yet in that action, God preserves His people from annihilation. You see, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that God programs everybody to act in a certain way. It's like somebody once said to me about the Calvinist who fell down the stairs and said, thank God that's over. You know, it's, it, that, that, that's, that's not the, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God is that God is, is working in our mistakes and in our feelings, in our shortcomings, and overrules them for, for good. It's uh, what theologians call the doctrine of confluence. And the doctrine of confluence is this, that man 
freely makes his independent choices. He decides what he is going to do. Confluence is the emergence of two rivers where they come in, to for, like the upper and lower Nile, where they flow in and form one river. So man is one stream, making his independent choices. But into that flows the sovereignty and the purpose of God, God who stands outside time and redirects that stream in whatever direction he wants it to go, that he actually uses uh, the sinful tendencies of man to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes people say to me, but you don't believe in free, free will. I do believe in free will, apart from the fact that man cannot choose God because his will is bound and he's held as a slave as Satan. But other than that, he can do whatever he pleases. But God is in his choices working and uh, uh, reigning and accomplishing His purposes. The 1689 Baptist Confession says, God has decreed in Himself all things whatsoever come to pass, yet so neither is the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature. It's not that He programs them, nor is the working of secondary causes put aside. God stands outside time and accomplishes His purposes. So, let's think of the war in Ukraine. Was it God's purpose that uh, Putin should invade uh, Ukraine? Well, absolutely not. That was a, a wicked and a terrible thing to do. But could God have stopped that invasion? Well, yeah. He could have struck Putin down dead before he ever mobilized his troops to do that. Of course, God could have stopped it, but he allowed it for purposes and reasons that at the moment we cannot see. So, God's will is being carried out uh, unknowingly by uh, the vast majority of this people in the world, reluctantly by the vast majority of the people in this world, but His purposes are being accomplished. God is on the throne. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He reigns over all. So, is the will of God done on, on earth? Well, in the secret sense, in the ultimate sense, but in the revealed sense, not always. The second question I want to ask this morning, so it's, it's the revealed will that we're thinking about in that second petition. The second question this morning is, how is the will of God done in heaven? I can't pray this prayer until I understand how God's will is done in heaven. If I don't know how His will is done there, how can I pray effectively that His will will be done here? So, how is the will of God done in heaven? Well, the Bible has much to say about the obedience of angels and the obedience of the redeemed who are in heaven, who have died and gone to heaven. And the first thing that we can learn about the will of God in heaven, so we're praying that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because so often it's done reluctantly and unknowingly here, but how is His will done in heaven? 
Well, first of all, his will is done exclusively in heaven. There is one place in God's moral universe that has never tolerated rebellion, and that is in heaven. Do you remember what happened when someone tried to start a political evil, uh, upheaval and lead a political uh, rebellion against the existing authorities in heaven? Lucifer, son of the morning, this bright star of God's creation, this pure spirit being said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to His throne. And God wouldn't tolerate that rebellion in heaven. And He cast Satan out of His presence, down to the earth. God's will is done exclusively in heaven. No other will intrudes there. So, when I pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that God's will will be done exclusively here on earth, just as it is in heaven. No pockets of rebellion. No uh, treason against the king of kings and his king, uh, kingly rule, but that the kingdoms of this world might become the kingdom of the Lord and His Christ, as we read in Revelation. God's will is done exclusively. Secondly, God's will is done continually. Psalm 103, verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding. We read in Revelation 7 and verse 15 about the redeemed. Therefore, they are before the throne and serve Him, serve Him day and night in His temple. We read nothing in the Scriptures uh, to indicate that the angels have fits of disobedience. It doesn't matter what they're sent to do, they do it. It doesn't matter uh, how they're sent or to who they're sent, they do it. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, in his great monumental commentary on the Lord's Prayer, says, you would do well to notice that it matters not to an angel what he is given to do. It may be a ministry for a babe or a king, a prophet or for a whole country. He may be called upon to perform a ministry for an individual or a multitude, for the holiest of all or the vilest of men. An angel may be sent on an errand of comfort or an errand of reproof. He may come uh, to carry a, a promise or execute a judgment, to deliver or to smite. It cannot be too high a duty or too mean a duty, too little or too much. You see what he's saying? It's, it's doesn't matter what the task is, pleasant or unpleasant, difficult or easy, um, large or small, the angels spring to attention and carry out the will of God perfectly and completely. He does whatever He is asked to do. He doesn't choose one and refuse the other. He doesn't choose that which is convenient and that which is inconvenient. He carries out the will of God without any other consideration. He, he obeys completely. So, the obedience of the angels is exclusive, complete, and then thirdly, immediate. You will notice as you look at the obedience of the angels in Scripture that at many times the angels are dispatched and come just at the right moment. Daniel 9, verse 20, 
while uh, Daniel is pouring out his heart in prayer for the future of the people of God, he says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and uh, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel came to me in swift flight. He came immediately in response to those prayers. There's Hagar with her little son in the desert about to die. And the angel comes just at the right moment and sustains them both. Paul is down in the bowels of a ship tossed uh, in the midst of a ferocious storm and his heart is about to break with despair. And the angel comes and ministers to him. Our Lord is out in the wilderness. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and all hell breaks against his sinless soul. And the scripture says an angel came and strengthened him. There in the garden of Gethsemane, and as the writer to the Hebrews says, he was crushed nigh on to death. At that precise moment, an angel came and strengthened him. The moment the summons was issued, That was the moment the angels responded. I think we have a a lovely picture of that. Luke 1 and verse 19, when the angel says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you, to tell you this great news. What a picture. Here's Gabriel standing in the presence of God, listening for the first, straining for the first indications of the divine will, the motions of the divine will, the expressions of the divine will. And immediately he springs and carries out the will of God. The will of God is done in heaven, not only exclusively, continually, but immediately. But there's something else here. Not only is the will of God done in heaven exclusively, continually, immediately, but delightfully. No indication is ever given in Scripture that an angel ever came grumbling uh, when he was carrying out the will of God. That story about the little Quaker boy who was sitting in the meeting in quietness, waiting for somebody to break the silence and and to speak, and uh, all of a sudden he stood up and his mum pulled him down to his seat and uh, said, you sit there. Uh, and he turned to his mother and he says, me sitteth on the outside, but standeth on the inside. You see, he, he, he was obeying. He was yielding, but grudgingly, not delightfully. Not with the angels. Their delight is to do the will of the one that they worship. And they respond to his voice with that delight. The obedience of the angels is exclusive, continual, immediate, and delightful. We could say many other things as well. But when we're, we pray, we are praying that God's revealed will will be carried out on earth exclusively, continually, immediately and delightfully. God's will is ultimately done on earth. There's no doubt about that, but it is revealed will. 
is not always done. And uh, men rebel against him. They reject him. They curse him. They don't want anything to do with him. They say, we will not have this man to rule over us, as was said of Jesus. Now, we can apply this in two ways, to ourselves, to ourselves. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that the obedience that we render to God may reflect the obedience that the uh, angels render to God in heaven. Lord, my, may your will be done in me, for my feet stand upon the earth in the same way that your will is done in heaven. I'm praying, Lord, may my obedience at, la- at least peel, peel uh, 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 and, and um, maybe partially reflect the obedience of the angels. May I do your will exclusively. May there be no pockets of rebellion in my heart, no little parts of the kingdom that are unsurrendered to your love and to your kingly rule. And when uh, sin, uh, my will rises up uh, within me and the devil comes seeking to impose his will on me, give me grace to reckon myself dead to sin and to the flesh and to the seductive powers of Satan. We are praying that God would make us men and women like Joshua and Caleb, of whom it was said they wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, they wholly followed the Lord. God wants exclusive obedience. And all those pockets of resistance that we hide in our heart are surrendered to His will. You say, serve Him exclusively. All other desires and aspirations uh, are yielded to Him. Uh, if our obedience is to be reflected in that of a, uh, the angels, it will be continual. No fits of disobedience, no lapses of consistency, no shrinking, sh- uh, shrinking from the unpleasant and the difficult. Whatever He commands, no matter what it is, we carry it out. There's something that God is asking us to do that's difficult, that we're resisting. Or to pray that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray that in my heart there might be a continual stream of obedience to the revealed will of God. Not only is my obedience to be exclusive and continual, but immediate. If we are to pray this prayer sincerely, how many times do we miss the blessing because of delayed obedience? Psalmist says, I will run in the way of your commandments. You know what it is to have heavy feet, to have lead in your boots when it comes to the will of God. I remember being out fishing in a field, uh, and uh, my Wellingtons uh, had a, a leak, and one of them was partially full of water. And as we were walking across the field, squelching with the well, water in the Wellington, I saw a bull coming towards us, and I started to run. And uh, that, that foot, that Wellington boot was holding me back. I had to take it off and run for my life. The writer to the Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then delightful obedience. So often, you know, we, we obey the Lord out of a sense of duty rather than delight. 
We, we know this is the right thing to do. This is the thing that we should do. This is the thing that we must do. And we go, oh, Lord, okay. But if you are to do His will as it is reflected in he- uh, to reflect His will in your life as it's practiced in heaven, you will delightfully, delightfully, it will be your joy to carry out His will. But then we're praying for our world as well. God's will is done. We're praying about the war in Ukraine. We're praying for the harsh treatment that, uh, and man's inhumanity to man that's revealed in that war. We're praying that God would put an end to it, that His will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We're, we're praying for the um, 1967 Abortion Act. Since that Abortion Act has come in, 10 million babies, 10 million babies have been aborted in the United Kingdom. 10 million. We're praying about this, uh, this whole LGBTIQ, everything else that goes in with that ag- agenda. David Wells says, worldliness is everything in a culture that makes sin look normal and righteousness odd. Worldliness is everything in a culture that makes sin look normal and righteousness look odd. Well, you know, we're the odd ones now. We're on on the fringe, the moral fringe of society because you dare stand up and say this is not right, that God created men and women to be married and to have families and to uh, uh, nurture those families in the, the things of God. We're praying for our our government, and we're praying that our government might realize that righteousness alone exalts a nation, and that His will will be done here in our nation and in our world, just as it's done in heaven. That's what we're praying in this petition. Is the will of God done on earth? How is the will of God done on earth? And then why is the will of God uh, done in heaven? Well, um, why is it that the angels carry out the will of God exclusively, completely, immediately, and delightfully? Well, I, I think you get a little hint of that in the verse that I've already mentioned when I spoke about Gabriel in Luke 1, verse 19, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Here is uh, Gabriel, he's standing in the presence of God. Now, if you tie in with that, Mark 18 and verse 10, uh, Jesus says, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So, here's Gabriel, he's standing in the presence of God, and Jesus says the angels in heaven always See the face of the Father who is in heaven. So they're, they're looking upon the, the beauty of the Lord. They're beholding Him in His holiness, in His greatness, in His righteousness, in His love, in His grace and mercy. And so this willing obedience, this delightful obedience, this immediate obedience springs from hearts that are ravished by the beauty of God Himself. That they, they are um, 
to see the face of God in, 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 in the Bible is to live in the presence of God and under the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. And this is the, 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 the mainspring of the angel's devotion in carrying out his will uh, in that way that we described uh, completely, immediately, exclusively, and delightfully. Because they behold the face of God. I, just turn over with me, uh, please, to, to 2 Corinthians um, chapter uh, 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Our time's away, but I just, this is important. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Here's the picture that Paul is presenting of, of us beholding the face of God. Now, how do you behold the face of God? Well, we're, we're told that Moses spoke, or, or God spoke with Moses face to face, Exodus 33, and yet at the same time, we're told that no man has seen the face of God and lived. So Moses beheld the face of God through the revealed Word of God. That's how he, God spoke to him. He didn't see God because no man can see the face of God and live. But he beheld God through a verbal revelation. And that's how we, we behold the face of God. That as, as you behold the face of God in His Word, as you live in the presence of God and under the blessing of God, you're increasingly transformed from one degree uh, of glory to another. And the, the picture is of the angels beholding the face of God who delight to do the will of God exclusively, completely, and immediately because they see God in all His glory. Now, if there is any reluctance in your heart to carry out the will of God, that His will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven, it's because you're not beholding the face of God. That's the reason. You don't see Him in all His glory, in all His transcendence, in all His beauty, in all His wonder, in all His love, in all of His grace. You don't see Him as you should see Him, because when you see God in all His glory, through His Word, I'm not talking about a visual revelation, I'm talking about a verbal revelation, you then obey Him exclusively, completely, immediately, and delightfully. And, you know, that's, that's what our nation needs. That's what our politicians need. They, they need to see the face of God. They need to see the wonder of God, the beauty of God, the grace of God. 
and then his will is done on earth just as it is in heaven. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you need to to glimpse his glory. You, You need to see his inflexible righteousness. You need to see his beauty in the gospel. And you need to come to Christ and trust in Christ and rest in Christ and believe in Christ. Uh, and, and then your obedience springs from a heart that is ravished by the love of God. Don't put the cart before the horse and try and put the obedience in place before you behold His glory before you behold his face. And it's only in Christ Jesus that you can do that. I would encourage you to come and put your trust in Jesus. Acknowledge that you, you have been disobedient, that you have strayed, and, and, and put your trust in Christ. And then just bathe in the wonder of who he is, his holiness, his righteousness, his mercy, his love and grace. And then you'll find that His will is done in your heart just as it is done in heaven. Amen.